Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. I'm really so honored to have Jay Richards with me. I've known him for, wow, quite a few years. Been a friend. We've been together on numbers of occasions. Uh, we don't get to be together as much as I'd like to because I'd love to pick his brain on a lot of topics. One of the greatest books I ever read on economics was written by him, and he made it quite exciting, very enjoyable. I'm going to ask Jay as he starts to, to take the first two minutes or so just to give a biographical sketch of his life, where, where he lived, where he grew up, where he went to school, uh, the books he's written, and then we're going to jump into a topic that's not pleasant, quite frankly, to talk about and jolts us all. It has to do with so-called transgender surgery. There's no such thing as transgender. It doesn't exist. And the mutilization of our children and our youth. So we're going to get into that topic and what you can do about it to help slot, help stop this slaughter of the innocents right in our midst. So first of all, to Jay Richards, I say oh, a warm-hearted welcome to the World Prayer Network. And tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to go right into the topic. Thanks so much, Jim. So great to be with you. So, well, uh, two minutes. Okay, so I was born in Amarillo, Texas, actually born and raised a Texan, went to a college in Texas, actually, got really interested in ideas, um, ended up studying theology and then philosophy. Uh, and philosophy, I joke, if it's done right, allows you to be a parasite on the other disciplines. And so I've honestly spent my my whole career trying to apply really two convictions that every person uh, has intrinsic value and dignity um, and can't be reduced to the, you know, the sum of its parts. He's greater than the sum of its parts. And that the universe and everything in it exists for a purpose. And so those are the kind of two broad philosophical themes. Those are obviously also theological ideas, but I've applied it in economics. And um, you could say, you know, I'm a, I'm a shameless generalist, I suppose. I've always been at think tanks, spent a lot of my career at the Discovery Institute in Seattle. Um, I've also been at the Acton Institute and affiliated with, with uh, the American Enterprise Institute um, and taught at Catholic University for seven years. Also launched with uh, James Robison, a, a Christian conservative uh, commentary website called The Stream at stream.org. Uh, and have written, I'm, I guess, written and edited a, a, over a dozen books, I think. I, I forget the exact count, including this book you talked about, Money, Greeting God. Um, and in the last few years, actually, I've gotten more and more, I'd say, interested but disturbed by the incursions of gender ideology into our schools, into our culture, and into our healthcare. And it was so upsetting to me, honestly, that I actually left my position full-time at Catholic University and moved over to the Heritage Foundation, big uh, think tank here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and this is one of the issues that Heritage focuses on, and Heritage has allowed me to focus on gender ideology. And this is honestly what I'm doing 24-7 uh, now. And it's, it's this basic idea that um, that kids can be born in the wrong bodies, that you could be a biological male, but actually really a, a female, that if you have uh, this perception that you're a woman, even if your body is male, um, the way to fix you is to undergo drugs, drug and surgical therapy to adjust the body to conform to this internal idea. And it sounds crazy to people when you first describe it. And so they have a hard time believing that this could actually be being taught to kindergarten students, that medical organizations could be supporting it. But I'm telling you, that has happened and it's happened mostly under our feet while we weren't paying attention. Well, thank you for that very thorough introduction. By the way, say the name of that. Your, I know you've written a number of books, but that book on economics, say the name of that again, because 
folks, you, you want to pick this up. This is, a, a, I don't call it any economic books easy read, but it's a good yeah. read. And it's written for a layperson. It's not highly technical. And boy, it just brings everything to light. What's the name of that book? It's called Money, Money, Greed, and God. And in fact, there's an, an, an 10-year anniversary edition came out in 2019. You can get it at Amazon or any place you get books. Everything I've, every place I've seen, Jay, it's always been a bunch of evangelicals. But you are, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you are a Catholic, a traditional That's right. Catholic. And That's right. Uh, he's worked uh, worked most closely with uh, James Robison. And yeah. still, still works with James That's Robinson, right. the evangelist very closely and I, we encourage you to go to the stream.org right yes the stream.org and you can see a lot of jay's work there uh, jay you you brought up the topic we're going to cover tonight it, it's really interesting to me in 2016 my book came out called well versed mm. and uh I, i'm going to be working by the way i'm meeting with a group of people at liberty university there they they came up with the idea of, of doing a well versed part two and uh, so uh thanks to them we're gonna we're gonna go for another one and a children's version and a youth version, and it's going to go in its fifth language as of the end of February. It'll be in its fifth language, so I'm very excited about that. However, as I was finishing it, Jay, in 2016, you know what it's like to write a book, and you've got the manuscript ready, and you're ready mm -hmm. to send it in the last time. This is it, <laughs> and right at that time, Obama, as president, yeah. was tangling with the state of North Carolina mm -hmm. over the bathroom bill. That's right, uh, and transgenderism was a... We, we obviously knew about it for, mm -hmm. for five, 10 years before, but not on any wide scale basis. That's right. I literally put in, in the last minute, squeezed in a sentence or two about transgender stuff mm -hmm. just to show a relevance with what was happening right then. That's right. Little did I know if I do a part two, I'm going to have to have a number of chapters. Absolutely. On this. In fact, I'll be looking to you to help me think through how to write that. But this has exploded. And just when we thought, we thought that nobody's going to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. They can't possibly believe this. It's being pushed harder and harder. With that as an introduction, Jay, uh, take us through what has happened, uh, how serious is it, how widespread is it, and then sometime before we land the plane, you got to tell us what to do and how to respond to all this. So first of all, it is absolutely deadly serious. It is as... In, uh, crazy and unhinged as it might sound. And we weren't necessarily paying attention and most people weren't. We have busy lives to lead. Uh, but the ideologues on the other side, um, and I'd say leftists, except that there are actually some people on the left that hate this stuff, uh, they were preparing the way for this. And so you mentioned 2016. Well, in 2015, uh, the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Obergefell decision, and which had to do with same-sex marriage. Um, and the minute it happened, if you go back and look, it was in 2015, right around that time, that all of a sudden the media, major the glamour magazine and uh, cover stories with Caitlyn Jenner dressed like a woman, Bruce Jenner, of course, um, you had National Geographic with a transgender child just everywhere in the media almost immediately after Obergefell. And what was happening was that the organizations and the donors that were funding the, the same-sex marriage fight they immediately pivoted to the transgender cause, even though they're different things. It's so a one involves same-sex attraction or sexual orientation. It's the idea that, okay, uh, who a person is romantically or sexually attracted to, that has to do with your, your sexual orientation as a kind of term of art. Well, gender identity is a different thing. In fact, gender identity is this idea that you have this internal sense 
of your gender that can differ from your sex, that is from your body. And a gender as it happens in gender ideology can mean basically anything. It's not just that a male can you know, have an identity as a female or vice versa, but you could be non-binary, you could be asexual, you could be gender fluid. There, there is an infinite variety of these. And people say that's crazy. Nobody can actually believe that. I mean, we all know biology is real. We know the difference between males and females. They have different body systems and body plans. There are different gametes, ova and sperm. There's not a third gamete. There's exactly two. Uh, and that's how we define in biology the sexes. And they're exactly two, male and female, and they're not interchangeable. Um, well, I'm telling you that they the gender ideology is so radical. It's a kind of weird refraction of of a kind of cultural Marxism and French postmodernism and something called critical theory in which everything is ultimately kind of a social construction. So the reality is your sort of perception of it. And so as a result- you Go back and who, this, this phrase social construction, they use a lot. Yes. Uh, so explain just to so make sure everybody's with us. Absolutely. What's, it, what's the phrase social construction? Social means? construction is the idea that rather than there being a reality out there with particular truths and laws that you try to discover. Um, rather, everything is constructed uh, not just by individuals kind of psychological categories, but by your society. So your, your culture and your society give you the categories that you impose on reality. And so that insofar as there's a reality, it's sort of your, your beliefs about the thing. And so everything in politics in, ends up being a kind of a, a fight for power because the people in power get to decide what reality is, right? By determining the words and the language that we use. And so I'll give you an example of this because this is going to sound crazy to people. But if you've ever heard this phrase, sex assigned at birth, this is the term now that if you'll notice, um, rather than referring to someone's biological sex um, in, you know, Google the gender unicorn, which is a little, it's an image that's used in elementary schools to teach kids gender ideology. Um, and if you look, it talks about people have a gender expression, uh, they have uh, a gender identity. They have um, an orient sexual, a gender orientation or sexual orientation, and then they have sex assigned at birth. So in other words, a boy is not born as a male and the dis doctor discovers that fact. Um, rather, the doctor imposes a category at birth of sex, male or female, that could be wrong because it might be that you are really a female or are really non-binary, which means you're neither male nor female. Um, and so how do you find out someone's true self, their gender identity, well, you have to ask them. And so this is why we get this, this, this seemingly crazy idea that, well, if a child has is a male body, but he has a gender identity of a female, you don't treat him by helping him adjust his false views with his bodily reality. Rather, you give him drugs and eventually surgery to adjust his body to this internal subjective idea called his gender identity. And so it's really, it's what Carl Truman, the, the theologian at Grove City College, he calls it the psychological self in which um, the self is just this disembodied kind of perception of itself, completely independent of the body. And so that's why you can sort of transform the body because it doesn't really tell you who you really are. And so this is just as radical as you can possibly imagine. I mean, old timey 19th century Marxism was nothing compared to this. Um, and as a result, um, the, the gender ideology, wherever it, it, it finds a foothold, unfortunately, 
replaces the kind of basic categories that you could hold. You might believe this as a Christian, that God created us male and female, but the idea of male and female, that's not a sectarian Christian belief. You know, if you're an atheist that says, well, there's males and females, right? We know this. You know how this works biologically. Well, you're going to disagree with gender ideology. And so that's what actually makes this issue different from, say, the marriage battle or even kind of the pro-life battle. Uh, this battle, in, in theory, you don't have to be a social conservative or conservative to understand this. If you think biologic, biological reality is, is a reality, that is, if you think sex is a real thing, namely male and female, then you're going to oppose gender ideology, whatever your political views, whatever your religious views. And so I could tell you that the growing coalition of people that are fighting this is really, really diverse. It includes not just Christians and you know Protestants and Catholics and atheists and Jews. Um, it even includes some gay people. It includes lesbians who think, look, this idea that um, kid, girls should have their breasts cut off is an atrocity. And so that's what sort of makes this amazing. Um, that's why I think we're ultimately going to win the fight against it. On the other hand, the educational institutions, the teachers' colleges, almost all hospitals, now the corporate boardroom, they've all mostly been taken over by the terms and the categories of gender ideology. And are, it's now working its way, unfortunately, into our regulations and laws in Washington, D.C. A lot of what I did when I first started at Heritage just was actually tracking what's going on with regulatory language. So well, I'll give you one example. Title IX was the law that uh, is now exactly 50 years old. Um, and Title IX was the, the civil rights law that guaranteed that women would be fairly represented. They could have sports and educational opportunities in, in schools and federally funded institutions. It was Title IX that gave rise to so many women's sports in, in colleges. Well, under the Biden administration, they have been undergoing a process to change the language in the, the rulemaking, which is the kind of regulatory side of, of the government, to change the word sex in Title IX so that it includes sexual orientation and gender identity. So whereas the people that wrote Title IX were talking about males and females as distinct categories, uh, it will, if, if this rule goes through, it will be redefined to refer not to our biological sex, but to our gender identity. And that will make it possible and in fact mandatory legally that males who identify as females get to compete in female sports. That's exactly what this means. And behind the scenes, the Biden administration is doing everything possible in its power to make this happen at the federal level. Let me just, just stop for a moment because I, I, I remember... I've been heavily involved in the pro-life movement, as mm -hmm. many of our listeners have. And I, I thought once the sonograms took place and once we became aware, that'll win the day. It's just, it's yeah. over. The people will mm -hmm. automatically stop this. They'll say, this is murder. But it didn't. No. Then when it came, I remember distinctly thinking, okay, the homosexuals are going to ask for uh, domestic partnerships and civil unions. Mm -hmm. At least they'll never ask for marriage because it's obvious physiologically, yeah. natural law alone, put aside the Bible, right. that, 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 that there, there's no way they'll ever ask for that. Mm -hmm. How wrong I was. Mm -hmm. And then, then we go to this where actual, we would, we would tend to say otherwise sane people are saying a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man. In your, in your dealing, are you dealing very much with the actual people? Who are mm -hmm. on that side of the issue? If so, it, I sometimes wonder how is this possible? Except the 
the clouding spiritually, this, the, the covering of the of the eyes spiritually. Mm. They literally mm -hmm. cannot see spiritually. They're so deluded. I think Ephesians chapter one addresses that, if I'm not mistaken. What what would be the ingredients that would describe in common the people on the other side to get to a point where they become so irrational yeah. that they say a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man? Well, it, it happens a little at a time. And so you described it, actually, the pro-life movement's a good example. So um, when people, you know, initially were told, well, this is just a clump of cells, but they got, we got used to it. I mean, this is hard to accept, but things that will initially outrage us and terrify us when we hear something for the first time, uh, simply either because we're well-formed theologically and, and our conscience is well-formed, or simply the law written on the human heart initially, right, will sort of prompt you. But if you can get exposed over and over to something, even the worst atrocities, we know this from history, um, you know, if people start dropping handicapped kids off the edge of cliffs, right, if they're born, well, we'd be outraged initially. The Spartans did it for a long time, right? They got used to it. And so I think in what we're dealing with the gender ideology, we're at this moment where most people have kind of heard about it, but don't really realize how crazy it is and how radical it is. And then... Eventually, when people realize that, they very often, they get activated. They want to do something about it. They're outraged. Um, but we only stay in that state for so long. And so I've honestly thought for a long for a while since I've been working on this, that we have a sort of about a five-year time window in which we need to wake up a critical mass of the country to what's happening and then channel that anger and outrage into really productive cultural activities and legislative activities and stop it. Because if it goes on for five or 10 years, we will get used to this and we will be like these the deluded ideologues on the other side that actually seem to believe this. Now, I don't think, I think 90% of people that are being careful with their pronouns and are pretending that Caitlyn Jenner is really a woman, they know, right? Like if they were, you know, if they were strapped to um, electric probes or something, they would say, of course, I know Bruce Jenner's really a man, right? But they, they, but the social pressures are strong. And so they go along. But there is a kind of core of people who actually do seem to believe this, or they want to believe it, and they want to make us believe it. And that's hard to imagine. But we have example after example. I mean, you're, look, a, a three-dimensional image of an unborn child if that's not going to do it for you on the pro-life issue, nothing's going to do it, unfortunately. And that's that's just kind of the reality of human, the human fallenness and also our, you know, our, our thinking is that we tend to be shaped by those around us and you get used to a certain warped way of thinking and it, it seems true to you, unfortunately. Well, before we get to the legislative actions, I, I don't want to make this X-rated or R-rated. Mm -hmm. But describe, and I, I really, I, I really don't want to go into this, and yet, yeah, something we have to. Just so those of you tuning in the World Prayer Network know this, we don't try to come to you with bad report. It gets all depressed. We're mm -hmm. coming to you with an honest evaluation of our culture, so we take it to the foot of the cross. Yes. And that's where intercession comes in, and that's where the application of the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. That's where the transformation begins to take place. And so we, we, we have to be aware of the sin and expose the sin uh, to be able to move to the redemptive component. So don't panic, uh, World Prayer Network family, when we, we take you down a road to some pretty brutal stuff uh, to make sure we're fully aware of this. The average person listening right now, including me, has not probed in deeply to actually what a transgender 
surgery is. Yeah. I, I, in 2008, when we won the battle for marriage in California, mm-hmm. yep. or to fathom ever winning that again, but we won it there, 52.3%. Mm-hmm. We went to the Supreme Court uh, because it got challenged immediately. We won in the California Supreme Court. Uh, Ken Starr was the attorney representing our side. The other side's attorney was Sean Mentor, and I, I got acquainted with her, him, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, she was a she, and so she declared she was he. And he was he he she was dressed in with a beard, three piece suit, and tie, and uh, appeared to be partially balding or that that kind of a look. Mm-hmm. And you would not know this was this was uh, a woman. And so I had some conversations with Sean, and I said, "Do you understand?" This was 2008. Do you understand that we would find it highly objectionable that people should expect our tax dollars to go to do these kind of things to people, these kind of surgery? And I remember Sean looked back at me and said, why? Why? That was back in 2008. Yeah. Sean could not understand at that time, that conversation. We, we had a, a very a very gracious relationship, respectful mm-hmm. of each other. Uh, but Sean could not understand in that conversation why I, I I would find it so objectionable. Now, yeah. taxpayer dollars are being used. You ought to tell me the amount. I've heard up to $3 yeah. million dollars per surgery. I may be off on that. You ought to correct whatever the right number is. But a staggering amount of taxpaying dollars are being used to mutilate our children. So with that kind of a painful introduction, mm. would you give us, uh, be careful in your choice of words because I don't sure. want to gross people out. But describe for us what this, we can only imagine what the surgery is like or whatever you're comfortable yeah, saying. And then absolutely. Describe and I can, the, the taxpayer me, base to it. Yeah. And so there is, so, the, so the, the tax money that's being spent on this, we don't have exact numbers. We know that Medicaid dollars are being spent on this in many states. And so if a child, say, in California, can, it's not actually very hard to declare yourself a ward of the state, and then all of a sudden you're eligible for Medicaid dollars. So kids that want to do this, want to get, say, cross-sex hormones, have an incentive to make themselves go to a judge and try to get themselves extracted from their their parents' authority. Um, Is that so easy to do? Uh, it's fairly easy to do in California, actually, and there are tragic stories I could tell if we had a couple hours of kids that have that have done this. Um, California the, just, did the parents sometimes approve them doing so that the taxpayer yeah. had to pay for the surgery well and so if the parent is, is not indigent you can't get medicaid dollars unless that's only for for the indigent poor and so um the people that are sort of well off those are either being paid for by private insurance uh or in some cases in many cases you know this is kind of a luxury good for people and people are paying for it out of pocket and so um it's a that's a kind of complicated you know how it's being funded is is complicated but i can tell you what so-called gender affirming care is that's the that's the euphemism that refers to this what a lot of us really call the school to to sterilization pipeline it usually starts in schools with something called social transition that's where a child will change his or her pronouns change the you know let's say it's a girl that says she's a boy she'll start presenting as a boy goes to the boy's bathroom takes a boy's name the teachers and the students are in you know are expected to go along with this that's really a psychosocial intervention on the child already right there in school. And this often in many states happens behind behind parents' backs. And then that will often be followed, depending on their age, by puberty blockers, which just basically freeze a child's uh, development in place. So it's basically, once you start going through puberty, your body starts undergoing these very specific masculine and feminine changes. And so they'll maybe start on puberty blockers. That's then followed by cross-sex hormones, which would be testosterone for girls and, and estrogen uh, effectively for boys. 
Um, and this, so if you're a girl and you start taking massive doses of testosterone, your body fat's going to change. It'll change your draw, jaw structure, your shoulders, your hips. It atrophies your, your uterus uh, and your ovaries. Does things secondarily that look more typically masculine, maybe even some facial hair. And then before long, um, in the case of, for instance, young Chloe Cole, whom I interviewed at the Heritage Foundation earlier this week or in, in, uh, in January, um, she... Um, had surgery to have her breasts removed in California at 15. And so that's that's what follows cross-sex hormones is gender transition surgery, which starts with girls on so-called top surgery. They have their breasts removed um, and then various other body parts removed. And then later, maybe when they're 18 or 19, if it starts early enough, there'll be these kind of reconstructive surgeries to try to create replicas of body parts of the opposite sex, let's say. Very expensive incredible number of complications, lifelong dependence upon cross-sex hormones. And of course, none of these body parts work. You can't create an artificial penis, for instance, that has any kind of biological, obvious biological function. So it's purely appearances. Most kids that do this uh, don't really realize the implications of it. They don't realize, for instance, that they'll be sterile for life, that they may have no sexual function. Now, people simply have don't want to believe that this is actually happening, except that we know them now. I, as I said, I was with young Chloe Cole um, at the Heritage Foundation and, talk, and talked to her. We were together. She's just now 18 years old. Fortunately, she changed her mind and is now a so-called detransitioner who's fighting against this stuff. I was, said I was lied to. My parents were lied to about what this meant. But she and she stopped before she had more surgery, but she had had her best breast removed. And of course, there's no there's no getting those back. Her story at least ends with her changing her minds. There are other much more tragic stories, but that is happening in this country. We are sterilizing children. We're doing it under the official uh, authority and approval of major official medical organizations. Um, and this is being pushed uh, radically, not just by the Biden administration and the federal government now, uh, but by dozens of radical gender ideologues and organizations that, that are pushing this stuff. This is happening. And it people, I honestly, Jim, from talking about this, I can tell you when people first hear this, for natural reasons, have a hard time processing it. What kind of numbers are we talking about? I, I, I was widespread in the public school system. Yeah. So massive numbers, millions of That's people right. exposed this. Do we have any sensing of what kind of numbers have been mutilated by this kind of drastic surgery? Well, at the Heritage Foundation, we're actually trying to nail this down. We've done Freedom of Information Act requests to various states, to the Health and Human Services Department, to at least try to figure out how much, you know, that, that tell us the federal funding. Um, we know that millions and millions of kids are exposed to these ideas in schools. In fact, I would say probably at this point, the vast majority of kids in public schools are being exposed to these ideas and not just in health, uh, not just in their science classroom, but in literature and absolutely everywhere. Um, so that's at the level of ideas and thinking and self-perception. And then kids that are undergoing cross-sex hormones, I suspect is probably in the tens of thousands. And that surgery, it's somewhere in the thousands. But beyond that, we don't we don't exactly know. We do know of pediatric gender clinics uh, that have conducted many hundreds and even thousands of these uh, mastectomies, for instance. And so we know it's it's somewhere upwards in the thousands at the moment. 
And that's just the beginning because these this very idea is actually, you know, not much more than a decade old. And so if this goes on for very long, I, I think you could easily be in the hundreds of thousands. In terms of, uh, let's just go back to the issue of homosexuality and show how that's caught on so quickly. I used to think that the number of, of, of males who identified uh, and females who identified as, as homosexual, um, I don't use the term gay, mm -hmm. lesbian. Gay means happy, and I'm going to stay with right. that definition. Uh, and I know they don't like to use the word homosexual, but it's not their job to tell me what words to use. But somewhere we say 1.4% or 2.8% yep. of the population. That used to be kind of the standard norm with something under 3%. And, and now I hear in Gen Z, 20% are identifying, 22% are identifying mm -hmm. as, uh, as homosexual. At a very conservative, uh, uh, it's been on the World Parent Network and it was said openly, uh, by a professor there who does research in this area, who's a specialist, uh, Janet Blevins, Asbury University, was saying 15 to 17%, the phrase she said, 15 to 17% of the students at Asbury University, Wilmore, Kentucky. I, I went across wow. the street to Asbury Seminary. She says 15 to 17% of the students there uh, would self-identify as, as, as homosexual. I said, you mean they're they're friendly to the idea of it. Said, mm -hmm. said, oh, if I heard her correctly, and, and these are these are exorbitant numbers that are shooting up. Uh, do you have any sensing on that before we go? Yeah, back? Yeah, I do. And so I would track this. And so I don't think she's probably referring to uh, the students that, that identify as homosexual, but rather that it, it includes both that and then the whole trans category, right? So somebody that, this is where the growth is, if you want to put it that way, large numbers. I mean, there are schools where, you know, a fifth or a fourth of the kids now in uh, middle school and high school will identify as gender diverse. That's the term. So that, you know, the, the um, transgender, a boy identifying as a girl, vice versa, non-binary, there are, you know, over easily a hundred options. And so that that's where the kind of growth is. But of course, if you're a girl that doesn't like puberty um, and doesn't like what's happening to your body and you are, you know, you're bullied and don't feel like you fit in, you, all you have to do is declare yourself non-binary. It's not like you have to do anything about it. And all of a sudden you have elevated yourself in the kind of intersectional hierarchy uh, in the school. And so there's strong incentive for kids. Non-binary, to... I want to make sure everybody understands that yep. term. Non-binary, it, it's completely incoherent. But the, the idea is that you're neither male or female, or you're kind of a mix, or you're somewhere in between, or you're, you're you know, you could be both somehow. So male, female, neither, or somewhere in between. So in other words, you don't uh, you don't identify as either male or female is this kind of simplest way to put it. Now, your body is going to be one or the other, obviously. I mean, you are, you actually are one or the other. But as a, a gender identity, you say I'm non-binary. And so that, that might just mean for a girl that she's going to start dressing like a boy or dressing androgynously or something like that. So for a lot of these kids... They don't even have gender dysphoria. It's just a kind of a thing that they're doing. Um, but nevertheless, they have been inculcated with these mental categories that people don't come male and female. That's been imposed upon us by society. And in fact, there's this infinite variety of uh, gender identities that we can discover ourselves to have. That's That's the basic idea. It's so completely different from everything everybody ever thought in throughout human history until day before yesterday that it's actually really hard to process it unless you kind of spend a lot of time with it unfortunately 
you quoted middle school up to 20 or 25 percent of middle school students are yeah taking. middle school and exactly so the younger because because if you think about it so if you're in the sixth grade in say california you've been getting this it's been going on long enough that you've been getting this since you're in kindergarten so you are fully inculcated into this framework this view of the world uh, on the other hand if you're 30 you might have gotten some of it but not much and so you're a harder sell and so this is why if you're wondering why are these drag queen story hours popping up everywhere well the point is to break down kids sexual uh you know sexual categories to break down their um you know kind of natural modesty and to sexualize them and to break down what would otherwise be these natural categories of male and female. You want to break those as early as you can if you want to transform the way kids are thinking. And why do, this is a pretty rudimentary question, why do they want to break down the way kids are thinking? They, this is um, this is my best explanation is like all forms of critical theory. So this is called queer theory. That's their, their term, not mine. It's not a pejorative um, critical race theory. These are not coherent philosophical ideas. They fall apart if you spend 10 minutes thinking about them. They are cultural wrecking balls. Uh, think of these as kind of the vanguard of neo-Marxist radical revolutionaries. Their purpose is to destroy the present order. Um, and it's a sort of utopian vision. You destroy the present order and something greater will take its place. And so they're never really very specific about how they imagine the perfectly just society uh, will look, but they're absolutely certain that the present order has to be, it has to be dismantled. And so that's why it's exactly the same thing with, if you go to the Black Lives Matter website, you know, until they, they cleansed it, they were quite explicit that they endorsed gender ideology. This is all the same. These are kind of intellectual cousins, all these movements. So when we hear this kind of news, and it's pretty tough news to bear, mm -hmm. what can people do? You referenced about legislative action, activism. Yeah. Uh, and then also, what are the legal safeguards? Well, if I'm talking right now to a parent and mm -hmm. there's kids in a school like this, number one, get your kid out of the school. Yeah. If for some reason you're not, or your grandparents, what can parents and grandparents do to, to try to put a stop to this in the school? Their taxpayer dollars are paying for that school. Mm -hmm. Uh, we obviously saw this this mama bear movement that is really yeah. up, starting in Loudoun County. It's gone everywhere. And then, what are the the legal things that can mm -hmm. that can be done? And uh, so, so give us a, a handle on what we do. Yeah. And so, the, so in some states, it's tougher than others. So some states, this is farther along than it is in other places. If you're in Florida, uh, they've they, Florida has already very successfully started fighting back. So, for instance, the Board of Health. Uh, in Florida this summer issued a 300-page major report showing that these these gender surgeries, uh, there's no scientific basis for them. There's no evidence that they help kids and has, has uh, prohibited Medicaid dollars from being spent on these surgeries in Florida. They passed something called the Parental Rights and Education Bill that requires transparency and accountability. So the schools not only can't uh, do things behind parents' backs, but parents are given the right to sue schools that do it. Um, and so Florida's pushing back. California, on the other hand, just passed a law in which they're going to be a magnet for these procedures. And so if you're in Texas um, and uh, you're a kid and you run away or your parent that has um, is in a custody battle uh, with your, your ex-spouse, you get your kid to California and you can get a judge actually to remove your legal custody in the other state and allow you to get put on cross-sex hormones as a minor. And so it varies from state to state. The, here's the good news, though, Jim. I think people, should, if you sort of look at this globally, yes, this stuff's still being pushed by the UN. On the other hand, 
countries, including the United Kingdom, Sweden, and Finland started this earlier than we did. They started these gender um, medical procedures earlier than we did, and they've now reversed course. So the United Kingdom, in the as the result of a, a major review, has now closed their only major pediatric gender clinic uh, and has said, we're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to work to help kids, you know, deal with their psychological troubles. Something similar has happened in Finland and in Sweden. So think about that. These are not right-wing religious countries, right? These are Northern European, otherwise very secular and liberal countries. They've looked at the science and said, this doesn't make any sense. The science has come crashing down on the other side. Florida is kind of the first state to recognize that. And so I'm optimistic that at least in a number of U.S. states, that's going to happen. If that the places that doesn't happen, here's my prediction is that the pediatric gender clinics doing this now are going to create an army of detransitioners and, and people who regret this these surgeries, and they are going to sue them into oblivion with class action lawsuits. So some of this will happen by good legislation. Some of it will end by class action lawsuits. The tougher nut to crack is going to be, how do we get this ideology uh, out of the schools? Um, I honestly feel like we need to think about it like eugenics of a century ago in which you get racist eugenic ideas they were in public schools, they were in textbooks. Um, we were sterilizing people based upon their race or their IQ test in this country. Um, it was supposedly based on science. The Supreme Court endorsed it, and yet it fell um, into disrepute simply because it wasn't true. And so that's that's the closest analogy I can think of. Think of this as the eugenics of the 21st century. Uh, could that class action lawsuit start soon? Yeah, I could. In fact, I know of two law firms in particular uh, that have been formed specifically for this. Right now, what you have is individual parents and uh, plaintiffs, people like Chloe Cole in California that I mentioned earlier, for instance, she's suing the gender clinic and the doctor that were involved in her surgery. And I would expect probably in the next year or two, we're going to get some massive class action lawsuits. They're literally creating victims, young victims that are still, unlike abortion, they are still going to be around and are going to be able to fight. And so that's what I think they, they have not necessarily uh, entered that into their calculations. Help us with the nomenclature or the language, mm. because we if, every time I use the word transgender, I feel terrible about it because there's no such thing as transgender. Right, that's right. You can't transgender. No. Uh, and, and so uh, I've heard sometimes that the words you use was so and so is presenting. That's right. Man. Yeah. And uh, so detransitioning from presenting as a man, detransitioning back to what they were born. What uh, they were. Yeah. Know. What they are. Now, what, what language, what words should we use on this so we don't fall in the trap of using the language mm -hmm. uh, 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 of, of these people that, that causes yeah. us to play into their circles by using their kind of language? Well, it's exactly that. So don't refer to people as transgender. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, it implies that people are this way, right? And that this is who they are. Um, use the word sex rather than gender. We have all gotten used to using gender as a synonym for sex. Sex is a perfectly good word. It refers to this biological reality, this way God has created us that everybody can see. So let's take back the word sex, frankly. Um, they're the ones sterilizing kids. We're the ones that believe that um, sex has a, a proper and dignified role to play in human existence. So we, we get to be the ones that could save sex as it's properly understood. Um, that's a key thing. And absolutely do not concede the pronouns. So don't volunteer your pronouns, refuse to provide the pronouns you identify with. And for, for my part, I would absolutely never use false pronouns 
that imply that I believe a lie. I think that's the kind of key thing. Don't participate in something uh, in which you're participating in a dishonest representation of reality. But of course, really smart ideologues on the other side are always way ahead of us. They manage to control the language. They make it hard for us to, to maneuver. It's much easier to refer to somebody as transgender than to say, well, it's a man presenting as a woman or identifying as a woman. But sometimes that's just what you have to do. Well, this pronoun issue, um, in a sense, have a several over barrel legally, because I think there are some places if you don't use the right pronoun, you can experience heavy fines. That's right. That's right. Uh -huh. New York. I mean, lots of places uh, like this um, have essentially laws against these things. Um, those are going to have to be fought out uh, legally. I actually think most of those laws, because they involve compelled speech, um, are going to, they simply clearly going to violate both the guarantee of, of free speech and the guarantee of freedom of religion. I don't think generally, I, I prefer that we not always um, frame this as a, as, you know, a freedom of religion question, because that could end up implying that the truth of male and female is only available to people with religious views. That Look, we as Christians believe that, but it's also true and observably true for everyone, right? So everyone knows, every atheist in China knows that there are males and females. It's not a, that's not a, it's kind of a doctrinal Christian uh, idea. Uh, I'll stay on this for just a moment, because uh, I, I think in New York, if I were not mistaken, at one point New York City or something, had a fine of like $250,000. Oh, these huge, yeah, exorbitant uh, if, numbers. If you said he, the person who's really mm -hmm. he, but wants yeah. to call she. Uh, so we have to use discretion on what to do without playing their game. That's right. I'll smart them, and maybe, Jay, you can give us, but also, I, I this is something I hammer on from time to time on the World Prayer Network call, and that is be aware of Christian colleges. If you look into a Christian college, oh, yeah. and you listen to the professors, and you see any professor that says preferred pronoun, get your kids out of that school. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, hustle with uh, a school that I happen to love a great deal is Indiana Wesleyan University. I'm mm -hmm. an ordained Wesleyan pastor. Contacted the the, uh, the president, then president, when I saw a professor name crop up, preferred pronouns. I said, wait a minute, what's this? That If yeah. he uses preferred pronouns, that is an acknowledgement that they buy right. in to the whole Absolutely. transgender theology. That's exactly uh, right. That's it, hard. And yeah. let me just say this. I, I, the response I got back was, yeah, some professors do that. That's not good enough. No. Where the school is, uh, the CCCU, Council of Christian Colleges mm -hmm. and University, they can be a member of that and yet still fall into this kind of junk. So make sure, get your kids out of those kind of schools, challenge those schools, don't put up with this kind of stuff because it's fundamentally deceptive. It's dishonest. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You don't call a man a woman, a woman a man. So it's a violation fundamentally of truth and honesty. Jay, what, what more counsel do you have for us? And are you aware, uh, I don't mind if you name even the Christian, mm -hmm. so-called so -called Christian, in quotes, colleges that are buying into this and are going by these preferred pronouns. Yes, and it's, it's just exactly what you said, Jim. At the moment, I don't know of any um, uh, doctrinally Christian schools, so not just by origin, but that have statements of faith, either Orthodox Catholic schools or evangelical schools that have passed all the way over into making these things a policy. It's sort of what you're describing. It's seeping in. And a lot of people, including a lot of these college administrators, don't either they don't grasp what's happening, or frankly, I'll say it, they're just spineless and not willing to deal with it. But this is a ditch to die in. It seems strange, 
But this pronoun thing is a ditch to die in because it's the, it is the gateway drug to this entire ideology. Look, either you are male or female and your pronouns are determined based upon what you are, or you, there's this thing called gender identity in which you self-designate. Um, and in that case, it would make sense to designate the pronouns you identify with. Well, it's one or the other. And so you're participating in the categories and the, the sort of thought world of gender ideology when you offer preferred pronouns. And so, frankly, if people ask me that, now look, I don't, I'm not intentionally a jerk about these things. If somebody asks me what my pronouns are, I, I just say, I'll either say I'm a male. I don't volunteer uh, that, oh, it's he, it's he, him. It's like, I'm a male or normally I'll just say, you know. <laughs> I just simply refuse to answer. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you to, uh, Jay, when you say there's no evangelical or traditional Catholic schools where there may be normative, yet there is the intrusion yeah. that's happening. That's and right. If we will stop it early on and expose it and push back, it will become normative. Absolutely. Very quickly. So uh, go through the list of faculties at these various mm -hmm. institutions. And if you see that, red flag the institution and find ways to push back. Find out who the board of directors are for that uh, uh, for that particular board of administration for that institution. Contact them. Contact mm -hmm. the president, and uh, be careful about uh, walking into that trap of saying, "Well, a professor or two or three. The institution I mentioned a moment ago. I think it might even been a, an adjunct professor. I'm not entirely mm. certain. But the problem is they didn't. There was no clue back to me. Now maybe the president dealt with it, and if so, praise God for that. But there was no communication back to me. Hey, Jim, we know this is wrong. We're going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of shrugged off at that moment. So I urge you to take very serious, very serious note of this. Jay, what question should I have asked you that I failed to ask you so far on this topic? Hmm. That, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, it's uh, whether I think we can win this, I suppose, which is the answer to that question is absolutely. Um, it's tempting to think, okay, we seem to have lost the marriage battle. That's going to take decades to get back. What do we do? Um, culture seems so far gone. I'm actually optimistic, first of all, because even very secular countries are now pushing back, as I mentioned, in Northern Europe, but also because simply the testimony of reality. Reality ultimately has a veto. And what's happening now is that they're striking at the very foundation of uh, be fruitful and multiply at the capacity of people to reproduce. They are coming between parents and their children, in particular between mothers and their children. There's a reason that the mama bears are waking up. It's because I think they made a tactical error there. And they're going to create an army of really angry, articulate opposition in the form of the so-called detransitioners. Um, and so I honestly think this, this could, is dark and awful as it is, this could end up being the moment in which our culture finally wakes up and begins to turn around. But it's going to require us to fight bravely and strategically and to start doing it right away. I have 11 grandkids all the way down to uh, just a few months old. Uh, but the one old to be on that is five years of age. And for the last uh, three and a half years of his life, from the time he was just tiny, he knew the difference between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And yet we have a person on the Supreme Court who does not know what a woman is because she's yeah. not a biologist. Right. Uh, what do you say to that? Yeah, what I say is that, in fact, she, of course, does know the fact, that, but she can't say, so that now Supreme Court justice, she could not answer the question, what is a woman? Because if she said, well, a woman is an adult uh, human female, right? She's, she's now denied gender ideology because she's appealed to basic biology. And so she couldn't say that because she knows she can't alienate the other side. 
Um, and she also couldn't say the crazy thing they say, which is a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. That's their view. Well, that makes no sense because what are you identifying as? That's a circular definition. And so that's why that, well, what is a woman is such a great question because it splits you either way if you're trying to com either committed to gender ideology or you don't want to, I think in her case, probably violate it. I think she obviously knew the answer to the question. She's a smart woman, but she certainly didn't want to contradict this new official orthodoxy on the left. Um, and so that, that's what I think is happening. I think, of course, a first order of business, inoculate your, inoculate your children against this. Um, that's absolute first order of business if you have young kids. Uh, but we don't just stop at, you know, at the doors of your house. Uh, or your kingdom, but you know, you, we have a responsibility to the culture and to those around us. We have a responsibility to people on the other side, to kids that are caught in this, that are often struggling and in pain emotionally and spiritually and psychologically. And so just remember that we have a responsibility, not just for our own and for ourselves, but for the culture around us. What's interesting is Joe Biden said he was going to appoint a woman. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, who's to know. say? Yeah, would how it have been okay know. to? Just... Why would you be? Why should the Senate have voted for her? Because we don't. We do, she doesn't know what a woman is. Who knows? Woman. Don't know if he fulfilled his his promise or not. <laughs> exactly. And I have not seen Matt Walsh's uh, video. What is a woman? Yes, I, I've seen trailers on it that have been hilarious, where he's interviewed people in these short trailers, and once he asked kind of what is a woman, they cut the interview off. They literally got up, yeah. these, these women got up and walked up and a young woman marching, carrying, carrying their, their banners. Yeah. And he's, he's asked them, what is a woman? And they all giggled, looked at each other and walked on. They did not know what to say. What yeah. would yeah. you, how would you encourage to equip us into, our goal is not to offend, but, of but course. Our, our goal is obviously uh, to, to make a point here. Uh, this is our last question. We've got to get off the air here. Okay. Well, so what I tend to do is I just sort of focus Honestly, I go for the basic science on this. I say, look, are you, um, first of all, if somebody's non-binary, usually there is a kind of double-mindedness when people are talking about this. So to say you're non-binary, what does that mean? So you're not one thing or the other. What are the two things you're referring to of which you are neither? And then they'll say, well, um, male and female. Okay, what's that? What's a male? Um, and they're either going to have to get an answer that's down in reality, or it's going to be an entirely circular, it's going to be a cul-de-sac. And so um, questions like that, you know, somebody says, well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm a man who identifies as a woman, or they won't say that, let's say they identify as a woman, simply ask them, what is that? What, what do you mean? What are you identifying as? Um, very quickly, this thing exposes itself. I mean, as I said earlier, this is not a tight philosophical system, right? This thing is a just absolute mess of wet tissue. Um, and you don't have to be mean to kind of create cognitive dissonance for people. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.